Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I think over in the Hall of Fame, that during the day, the people go through and they look at everything. And then at night, there's a time when they all leave. And all the fans and all the visitors leave the Hall of Fame. Then there's just the workers. And the workers start to leave. And then it gets down, there's just one person. And that person turns out the light, locks the door. I believe that the bust talk to each other. Yeah, they got plenty to say now. Uh, John Madden, immortalized when he entered the Hall of Fame, gone to the age of 85, died unexpectedly yesterday morning. And and it, we got a lot to say about John Madden today, Chris. You and I came up at different times. We have different memories of him, but he's been integral to the fabric of football for 50 years, for more than 50 years. And it feels like, a family member has passed because we all knew him so well. Even though he didn't know us, we all knew him so well. Anybody who followed football, anybody who loved the sport, loved John Madden because John Madden was basically the unofficial narrator of the game for so many of us. And there was a comfort to hearing his voice. There was a, a magnitude that was inherent to any game that he was associated with. It, it, it really was... Uh, and I think that that the way I reacted to it, it, I think it was a common feeling. It it felt like a family member had passed. It really it did it did to me because for so many families, he was part of your family growing up. He was part of your family. You turn on the TV and you watch football. He's part of your family. You get together with the younger members of your generation and you try to keep within 40 points of them playing the Madden video game. He just, he was always there. Football was always there, and he was always there when football was there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, his legacy is, you know, un- unmatched as far as just like what his, you know, the, the the things he did for the NFL football game. That That's for sure. I mean, it really is. It's, it's sad to see it go. He's such a like, great, jolly guy who loved football but could explain it in a way that even though he was like, you know, a professor of football knowledge, he could explain it to, you know, the most simple of football viewer in a way to where it just made sense. And that's where he was so great, let alone he just had this personality that just kind of, you know, just screamed off the or or just popped through the TV screen because of the things he said, how he delivered it. You know, he had great creativity with, you know, the turducken and all those things and giving guys turkey legs after Thanksgiving Day games. And then, of course, the legacy of the, the, the video game. I mean, again, I mean, there's a lot of kids that they know Madden. They don't know what he looks like, but they know Madden. And they have a little bit of a feel just because of the opening of the video game and things like that. But, 
uh, you know, his legacy will go on for a long, long time. And like for me, Mike personally, uh, I mean, it's yeah, it it hurts because I, I felt like he was the narrator of my dad's life early on in my life. You know, you you I, I, you grew up and he was the coach of the Raiders and coaching against your Vikings team. I grew up and damn, most Sundays it was John Madden and Pat Summerall doing the Giants football game. And uh, I told you before, just so many memories of seeing him walk around the practice field. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. And uh, it is. It's a shame to see him go. It, it, it hurts your soul. Let me take you back to the early 70s when I first discovered football. And he was coaching the other team on that day in December of 1972 when I came to the conclusion while playing with my Hot Wheels and our house had a a a living room full of neighbors, and my mother never let anyone into the house without their their shoes coming off at the door. That day, it was an exception because back in those days, the home games were blacked out within a 75-mile radius, even if the games were sold out, which made no sense whatsoever. The tickets are sold. They still didn't play the games on TV in the local market, the home games. We, for some reason, had an antenna attached to the roof of our house that picked up a station that fell beyond the bubble that that otherwise prohibited the broadcast of the game. We were the only ones in the neighborhood who had the Immaculate Reception game. And the moment that that happened, and his Raiders were on the wrong end of it, but still, that was the explosion, the eruption of the adults in the room acting like they were kids, and that got my attention, because I'm used to the adults acting like adults, not acting like kids. This must be a pretty cool thing. This must be a pretty fun thing if it makes them react this way. I remember that feeling when I was seven, and you know Madden wasn't happy about the outcome, but then I got to know him as a coach watching the games, and yeah. he was so different from the other coaches. You know, most generations view him as an older person. When he was the coach of the Raiders, and even that, that's later in his career, he had the long, flowing, curly hair. He had the polyester pants. He had the polo shirt. He was like the young, cool dad from the neighborhood right. that you looked up to and you wanted to hang out with. And he wasn't Chuck Knoll, Tom Landry, Don Shula. He was this kind of rambunctious, rollicking, jumping around, running around, hair flying everywhere. And 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 his teams were successful, and there was a certain element of of you know incompleteness because the Raiders hadn't won a Super Bowl because they were one of the great teams of the seventies. They had the best winning percentage. They were always a nemesis for yeah. the other great teams, but they never got their own Super Bowl win until the seventy six season. Right. And I, that was the last time the Vikings were in the Super Bowl. And I it was hard to be all that mad about it because it felt like John Madden finally got what he deserved. And then I remember how surprising it was when he retired after only 10 years. You you just assumed he was going to be coaching for years and years and years. And that was the first stunning early retirement in the NFL that I can remember when John Madden walked away from coaching because we just all assumed he'd be around for another 10, 20, 30 years as a head coach. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it. you know, again, I wasn't alive at that time, but you know me, I am an NFL historian to a degree. And yeah, I mean, he did retire right, as the uh, percentage-wise the most winning coach in the history of football, right? When he did retire after those ten years, you talked about it. They were very successful. They went to I think five AFC Championship games before they finally won and got to go to the Super Bowl and and beat your Minnesota Vikings. And Mike, you you know, yeah, you talk about kind of the unorthodox approach of him as a head coach, and that's what I got to see. But it was the unorthodox approach of a guy announcing football games. I mean, that, that, that to me, you know, I, I didn't think it was that crazy when this, this big jolly guy was drawing big circles and going, Hey, you got this guy here, this guy here, and bam, bam, boom, bing, bum. And I mean, that just, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I don't know what he just said, but I understand what the play he was drawing up and how he diagnosed it. And it made a lot of sense. You know, he could really explain the game while, making it fun for the audience. And you could tell him and Pat Summerall were having fun. And uh, it just, it, it, it kind of screamed through the TV screen that way. It really was special, Mike. And always seemed like, you know, really nice. I know I've told you before, I'll never forget it. It was 1988, maybe somewhere in there. And it's a Saturday walkthrough. And, you know, my dad's brought me to Giants Stadium for the Saturday walkthrough. But 
You know, my dad's he's scared of Bill Parcells still at this point, so I got to sit in the stands while they're going through the walkthrough for a little bit. And I'm watching John Madden and Pat Summerall walk around the field as they watch practice, and they're talking and they're talking. And then he just looks up at me and he's like, you know, like, hey, kid, you, you, you Sims, you Sims' son? And I was like, yeah, you know, he was great to me, couldn't be nicer, and then brought me on the Madden Cruiser. And at that point, it was pretty famous, you know, 88, 89, and, you know, let me walk around his bus and see that. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And uh, it is. It's a shame to see him go. It really is. It's a, a wealth of football knowledge and stories and, you know, just a great, great person who seemed like nobody ever disliked the guy. I, that's the thing that's amazing about him, too. I mean, everybody that crossed paths with him, nobody says a negative thing or a bad thing about John Madden. I think that says a lot about his life as well. Knowing what I know about your history as a child and as an adult, whether it's kicking the pieces of wood into the pool while Peter King was at your house interviewing your dad, whether it's (laughs) filling Jeff Hostetler's cleats with shaving cream, I'm wondering what opportunities for mischief you noticed and possibly tempted you, and maybe you yielded to those temptations when you were on the Madden cruise. I didn't. I didn't do anything. He had his the guy that drove him around was you know right there next to me. I was like in awe a little bit. I just couldn't believe it because it had just become a thing. So I might have my year wrong. Maybe it was ninety, but it was like just this like where they started to really publicize like here's Madden on his bus, you know, going from city to city. It just became famous. So, like, for a chance to, okay, I got to the stadium that day, and whoa, there's Madden's bus. No, that's cool, let alone get to go in it a few hours later and really see what it was all about. I just couldn't, you know, couldn't have been cooler as a young kid, certainly. And uh, I loved, you know, listening to him announce my dad's football games all those years. It was, it was really great. Pete reminded me also of the third item of the young Chris Sims mischief. It was the patch of grass off the porch that mysteriously turned yellow, <laughs> turned, <laughs> <Yeah>. turned yellow <laughs> because somebody was going outside to do what usually is done in the house in one specific room of the structure. <laughs> Madden as a broadcaster was a godsend. And I remember... I don't remember what game it was. I don't remember who his partner was. I think his first partner ever was Bob Costas Mm. for like a test game at CBS years ago. But he was so different from anyone you had ever heard before. And he made the game accessible to everyone. Some broadcasters feel compelled, for whatever reason, to engage in jargon. Right. To make the game seem more mysterious and complicated than it is. John Madden had a gift for making a complicated game seem simpler than it really is. And it allowed people to think they understood what they were watching, even though there were layers and levels that they could never comprehend. There was never an opportunity to explain it that way. And if you tried to explain it that way, you would make the people feel excluded not included in the conversation. That was his gift as a broadcaster, to take that complicated game and make it seem so simple that anyone with any level of football knowledge, and he always spoke to the person who may have been watching a football game for the very first time. Yeah, that's right. But he didn't do it in a way that it made the people who understood the game frustrated that it was too simple. Because the way he did it was so entertaining and it was so enjoyable. And, you know, the advent of the Telestrator, the coach's clicker. Amazing. Things that, hey, look, in the 70s, and don't, don't play the piano music for this. In the 70s, the big advancement was the reverse angle replay. When they happened to have one camera on the other side of the field... <laughs> Where the regular camera was. And that was a big deal. Right. And they put the graphic up, reverse angle. Right. Like, we should be impressed right. that there's a second camera there that's on the other side of the field. Because you know what? You never got that before. You had one camera. And if it was there, it was there. If it wasn't, it wasn't. You got one camera. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So when Madden comes around and all of a sudden he's drawing stuff on the, the screen, I mean, that that was a major technological advancement squiggly lines from the hand of John Madden were like 
the clouds parting and the sun coming down and now we can actually between plays have some understanding of what the hell just happened because previously you didn't have any understanding of what the hell just happened so from that and he i remember the coach's clicker where he would you know the the play would stop yeah and it would spin back and right. it would go again right. and stuff that we take for granted now before john madden those things didn't exist yeah so he brought genius in in a very simple and easily articulated style he brought genius to the broadcast booth that made the game more enjoyable for everyone and i think the game itself owes him a debt that could never be repaid for what he did to take a sport that was already very popular and make it more popular by making it more accessible and understandable and and it and it drew people in not not push them away so it, yes. and, and, and it's, it, it revolutionized the broadcast of the game so quickly that I, I think that we lost sight collectively on how it happened. It happened because of John Madden. No doubt. Period. No doubt. I mean, he could be self-deprecating. He could have fun. And, you know, the biggest thing, like you said, is the, the way he explained the football game. I think that's exactly right. That's the thing that will, I'll always remember, just how simple he made it, like you said, for the most novice of football listeners. But yet – Gave you enough knowledge for a guy that, hey, if you were, you know, in the weeds or really, uh, you know, obsessed with football and wanted to know every detail that you learned something throughout a telecast, too. I still watch my dad's old games and hear John Madden and him explain things. And, yeah, it doesn't get technical. But it just, hey, this big old guy, he was going to pull over here and see he's going to stop him. And then this big old guy's going to go out here and kick him out. And see, now they got a wall of big old guys over here. And now these big old guys, they open it up for this small, fast guy, and he runs for a touchdown. And you're like, mm, made sense. I don't know, you know what the technical terms were of that, but it doesn't matter. He explained it just the way you wanted, let alone his ability to go into personal stories about players and have fun with it. You know, that, that, to me, is where he was really special, Mike. It, it, you're right. Uh, he changed the game without, I think, all of us realizing he was changing the game as he was doing it. And then between that and then the jump off of the, the, the Madden NFL video game, oh my gosh, I mean, that was a game changer as well. And of course, a huge contribution to football. It got more kids involved in the game, playing it, loving it, still doing that to this day. You know, still people gaining knowledge from Madden, even in, you know, the, again, just the, what you learn there, ask Madden, whatever. So, uh, yeah, his mark is is giant on the NFL. It is. It's one of the really. I mean, I, I think you could honestly argue like you talk about like Mount Rushmore of importance to the history of the NFL. No, no, no. Don't don't put three others with him. No, I'm gonna him. say yeah, he's there. I mean, that's all I was gonna say. Right, I hear you. He's yeah. there. I mean, he he's done. They don't have to win a bunch of Super Bowl trophies to be that guy. His impact on the sport is as big as anybody we've ever seen. Yeah, it's Madden the coach, it's Madden the broadcaster, it's Madden the video game, yeah. and fourth spot omitted. That That's the Mount Rushmore. And uh, you, you, you mentioned, and we've been talking about how he broadcast games. I was watching a clip earlier, and he referred to a nose tackle as a two-gap player. Now, you'll hear that term from time to time on games today, and it just kind of keeps going because that's the jargon, and that's, hey, I know football because I know the term two-gap, and I used it at the right time, and if you don't know what it is, well, go Google it. He stopped everything he was doing to explain what that meant, and he explained yeah. it in a way that anyone would understand. That's what he did. He was always sensitive to the audience and to the possibility that someone was watching a football game for the very first time ever, and he was the ambassador of the sport for those three hours who would help you understand it in a way that made you think it was a lot simpler than it really was. I mean, I guess you could say that one of the reasons why some of the owners in today's NFL think they know what they're doing is because they 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 grew up having Madden make the game seem simpler than it was. <laughs> so they thought it was easy. Yeah, it's right, not. Right. He just had a gift for making it seem easy. And the other thing, too, that, that, uh, that enhanced his abilities – he wasn't above commenting on anything that was going on in a very funny way. Right. I mean, just the right. things he would talk, the things he would see. We we were passing around the clip last night of him 
talking about the two Gatorade buckets, uh, getting together and making a baby bucket for the Giants uh, Super Bowl game. We'll, we'll actually one. hear that later yeah. in the program. But, yeah. you know, and he was always looking for the guys who were having a good time because right. he was having a good time. I remember when Anthony Carter was playing for the Vikings, he would point out how he was always smiling. He was always happy. He was always having a good time. Yep. He was always on the lookout for those little things that you could point out and you could talk about. Because those were the things that the people watching the game noticed. And that's what made him the consummate buddy at the bar. He was the guy that you would want to watch a game with, that you felt like you were watching a game with. Even though you couldn't contribute anything to the conversation, he was contributing everything. And he enhanced the enjoyment of the game. That That's what he did. And and I, I still don't think anybody tunes in to watch a game because of who's announcing it. But if anyone would have ever been been able to get someone to tune in to watch a game, like if it's a, you know to, to use it by today's terms, Jets Jaguars of last weekend, if if John Madden were in his heyday now, and for some reason he'd been assigned that game, yeah, that's a game you maybe want to watch because John Madden's going to be on the call. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a voice or or any presence behind a microphone in the history of the NFL that just screamed big game more than John Madden. And you're right. It didn't even need to be a big game. Am I just he he could sell it, but like, uh, it, gosh, it, I get chills through my spine still just thinking about him coming on air for a big football game when I was a little kid, and just the great combination between him and Pat Summerall, who you know Pat Summerall could could say five words and give you seven thoughts on those five words, and then Madden would and like stumble over himself a little bit and and laugh and giggle and just have a blast as he was doing it and and it's yeah it was you know a lot of tv producers or people in charge of sports networks today would probably be like you know don't announce games like that you know and I'm sure they were saying that to him then but it was just so enjoyable and lovable that it just it just it, it you know as a viewer you gravitated towards it and you're right about like the you know the the when we're gonna show the the Gatorade bucket thing later and all of that like that, that he always had fun with the the other things that were going on within a team, you know and and could diagnose those and give you a little bit of like a history of the the personal side of this team and their and what their life is like and you know how they come together as a football team and and are making all this work and that's where he was really great it really was he could kind of give you the full picture look at both teams you know, on a regular basis every Sunday. And there was a real contrast between the Raiders teams that he coached and the way that he was. And I know we say from time to time that the team is the reflection of the coach. I think the Raiders were the reflection of their owner back in the 70s. And Madden wasn't that renegade. They had a lot of renegade players, and he did a pretty good job of keeping them as under control as he possibly could. But one of the moments that stands out, and there's a story that MDS posted earlier today about – the moment in the 1978 preseason when Daryl Stingley, then with the Patriots, suffered a serious debilitating injury that would paralyze him for the remainder of his life after a, a, a hit that was legal at the time from Raiders defensive back Jack Tatum. Madden went to the hospital. The game was played in Oakland. That was during the first Raiders stint in Oakland from the 60s and 70s and into the early 90s. Madden went to the hospital uh, to wait for Daryl Stingley's family to arrive. And he was upset because Chuck Fairbanks, who was the coach of the Patriots at the time, had gotten on the plane and flown back to New England with the Patriots. And he actually, and this comes from a New York Times article in 1979, Madden got someone on the airport on the phone and said, get Chuck Fairbanks off that plane and get him to the hospital. I mean, that that was the level of care that he had for the men who played the game. And Chris, that would manifest itself. And this is one of the unknown things about John Madden. And I collected a lot of examples last night. I'm going to write about it when we're finished today. After he retired from broadcasting, he was instrumental in the efforts to make football safer in many different ways he was adamant and in many ways he was a voice in the wilderness because football the football people were reluctant to change he had been very vocal about many things especially as relates to head trauma about getting players off the field 
keeping players off the field. When in doubt, leave them out is a phrase that he was pushing to the NFL after it became obvious what the long-term effects of head trauma could be. He was the, 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 at the forefront of so many things that the NFL has done over the past 10 years to try to make the game safer. And one of the things I'm committed to doing in memory of John Madden is to make sure people understand that. Because you know what? There's a lot of resistance to the things that are being done to make football safer. And maybe if people realize John Madden was the one carrying the flag for it, Maybe people will accept it a little bit more readily than they have. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they will. Uh, you know, again, he, he was a visionary. He was he's ahead of his time as far as just the personality and, and what we have in the NFL today. He really was. And I didn't know that about him. I did not. You know, but you know, I was sitting there watching like NFL Network last night and they're doing Madden stuff. And it's just, you know, again, I think you could just see anybody that's ever crossed the guy just was so impressed and had such a, a love or liking of John Madden. And, of course, his, his old teammates, uh, I mean, his old players, I should say, you know, who he coached. You could tell there's just a, a, a respect that's a little beyond the normal head coach who, yeah, this is the head coach and he's, you know, you know the general, the sergeant, we listen to him. You know, there, there seems always to me that his players had a little bit more of a personal feeling towards their head coach maybe than, than other players throughout history towards their, you know, NFL coaches. And, and that, I think, speaks a lot, too. He obviously was a guy that opened, had his door open so players could come in and talk. He understand, understood who they were on and off the field, like you said. I mean, that cast of characters he had to deal with in the Oakland Raiders, that football team, that would take a special type of coach. You know, somebody that's able to blend a bunch of personalities together and probably deal with a little drama and go, okay, I'll just, you know, swipe that under the rug today. It wasn't that bad of a drama. We'll just act like it didn't happen, whatever. He had the, the you know, the, the golden touch that way with people. And uh, I, I think that's what everybody saw in John Madden, certainly. And yeah, that's interesting about the, the safety of the game stuff, Mike. That's one I did not know, but not shocked to hear, you know, because there's a caring of people uh, from John Madden that you always felt. Well, and I think he was the embodiment of the idea that football was what football was, and now we have learned that football presents a level of risks that we maybe weren't as aware of, as sensitive to as we should have been, and that's what pushed him to, to advocate for ways – to limit the kind of contact that could cause those problems, even if it's only happening in a small percentage of players later in their lives. If it is introducing risk of long-term trauma, we need to find ways to tweak the game to make it safer for everybody who plays it to the point where I can recall a suggestion that traced back to John Madden, and maybe it was more of a prediction as to where the game was going, but no more three-point stance. No, can you imagine how different the game would look if there were no three-point stances, if it was all two-point stances across the line of scrimmage, offense and defense? But if that's the only way to take those sub-concussive hits, that was a term that became popular 10, 12 years ago, where you don't get a concussion, but your head got banged around inside your helmet because you fired off the line of scrimmage, as you were always taught to do as an offensive lineman when run blocking, a defensive lineman when attacking the offensive line, that helmet is going to hit another helmet, and you're going to have a small injury to your brain that doesn't give you a concussion, but it's not good that that's happening to your brain. That's how sensitive he was to what this meant for the sport and what it meant for the men who played it, that maybe we do need to pivot to a two-point stance so you're not firing off headfirst and hitting someone else headfirst. And even if no one sees stars after that hit, it isn't good for them that it happened. And uh, I think his personality and his sensitivity helped contribute to a lot of the changes that we've seen in recent years to make the game safer. And that's how I've, I've I got in touch with, with uh, someone who was familiar with the things he did in that regard. And I've got a long list of documents and memos and other things I'm going to parse through. And I want to, I want to give him the credit he deserves 
because we assume yeah. that once he retired from NBC after the 2008 season at Super Bowl 43, that it was just no. He was he be, he became the first chairman of that subcommittee that consists of coaches that consults with the competition committee in an effort to kind of bridge the gap between you know the people who aren't in the trenches coaching teams and making football what it is get coaches involved get their voice at the table and he was the guy who was in charge of that at first uh, after he was out of broadcasting and of course the the video game continued and will continue i mean yeah. that game's always going to be around always. as long as the nfl's around that game's going to be around and i know there are kids out there and i may have said this recently there are kids who didn't know who john madden was and yeah i'm i'm hoping that they're getting a lesson in who john madden was last night, today, and tomorrow and beyond. But I've had kids tell me that they think it's called Madden because it makes you mad when you play it. <laughs> and, I, it you know, and I mean, if you're a kid and you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. John Madden's picture's not on it. See, it wasn't right. about him. It was about him early on. Right. And I think that was more of a marketing thing. Yeah. But, you know, after five, ten years, it became about finding a player who who was the most famous or one of the most famous players in football at the time he he disappeared from it his voice disappeared from it his his likeness disappeared from it and it became about the game and it became about the players but uh, boy that brings back some memories oh, john really madden does. football 92 was the first really really great one uh, i had him all the way back to the first one but 92 was when it became something something magical and and uh you know people want to complain about it because oh it's not any different but well, you know what why should it be I, I get it every year, and, you know, I, I play it all the time. I play it when I ride my exercise bike so I can, you know, enjoy Christmas meals and eat turducken and whatnot, and I, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's real football, and I learn a lot about football strategy and clock management and decision-making from that simulation from those reps of over and over and over again, being in those situations when you're down 14 and you score a touchdown and you go for two to cut it to six. I know you love that play. Yeah. But it's it's just it's 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 a great way to fully understand the way football works. I mean, it's the ultimate gift that he's gonna give to generations where you can in a way like you never could when I was growing up. The only way you learned football when I was growing up was electric football, where you spent 20 minutes lining them up and 30 seconds watching them run around in circles, and 20 more minutes lining them up and 30 seconds watching them run around in circles, and you didn't learn anything. Right. With Madden, you really do learn how football works at whatever age you decide to start playing. No, 100%. I mean, I, I've played a handful of times you know, this year against my little boy, uh, who's 11. And, yeah, he vaguely knows who John Madden is because I've explained it to him. He's got a father who's obsessed with football, and he's and I pointed him out when I've shown like you know shown my my little Phil you know Big Phil's old games. He's of course heard John Madden. I go, hey, that's John Madden. That's your damn video game right there. That's the guy. I mean, just again, the knowledge the guy had of the sport, the generations of players he got to see and be around. You know, it just you know it, it's special that way, and it's fitting that the video game, yeah, you know, came his way and and became such a big thing because. Who, who better to have, you know, to have that, you know, with all the, the famous sayings that he had during the broadcast of a game. And, of course, you know, through the 70s, all the players he got to see now announcing games and getting to see all those players, you know, on a weekly basis at practice and all of that. I mean, the knowledge was unbelievable, let alone to me, I, you know, I don't know. He just, I, I, like you said, the NFL was great, I know, before him. But I do think he brought it to another level of a, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, spectacle that maybe it was not before that. You know, and that's where, like, again, I go back to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving became more about the game. It was more like, oh, man, here's Madden. He's going to be silly today. He's probably going to eat some turkey. Who's he going to give a turkey leg to? How many freaking times is he going to, you know, circle the turkey and then tell us some crazy story about, you know, the turkey's life before that? I mean, he just he was amazing that way to where it, it became a thing not only to watch the game, but like, hey, hey, everybody, shut up. I want to hear what John Madden's talking about. He, he's he's saying something important or he's saying something silly. Either way, you wanted to listen to it. And I think that's where he really brought the game to another level to, you know, to something you said earlier. You know, it could be anybody. Hey, you know, hey, my Aunt Wendy. Oh, it, yeah, oh, well, it's John Madden. She'll be all over that and, and loves, like you said, how he explained the football game, let alone the wormhole stories he might go down every now and then to make everybody laugh. I mean, 
that's where it just went to another level, and there's been nobody like him since, and there won't be anybody like him going forward. I'm told that we have some old sound and video of John Madden having some fun with uh, the turkey carcass that was somehow amalgamated with a chicken and a duck, and I still don't understand how it all works. But here's, here's here's a little John Madden on non football matters of great importance like turkey and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, it's really five different things. It's a, it's a chicken, a duck, a turkey, and two kinds of dressings. And are you going to have one on, on your Thanksgiving table? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have one. I have to bring it though. But you know, you know, because it, oh, here's Here a, it is. Here's, here's, a, here's a picture of one. Turkey duck in the picture. That's the, that is what, it. And you see, you cut it like right down here. <laughs> see, and then this is what it looks like inside. <laughs> see, so you got turkey and duck. And then dressing, and then chicken. Oh, and then then you just have to do it that way. Or now, any of that makes sense. Now, can I get some hoisin sauce with that? <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's amazing. Al, Al John didn't know Madden, what to not do. Familiar, not, <laughs> not familiar with the concept of a knife. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> apparently he had another skill. He had a pinky finger that was as sharp as a knife. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, and Al was a great dude. Al didn't know how to how to react to any of it. And that's what's amazing about John Madden right there. You just never knew where it was going to go. <laughs> well, and if you worked with John Madden, you were his straight man. You were the foil. You yeah. were the guy. And whether it was Al Michaels or Pat Summerall, and they both played that role perfectly and let John be who he was. And, you know, one of the great things, and and Chris, this is where you have something in common with him. He he, he never took himself seriously. And he didn't care if he said something goofy, and he didn't care if he said something incorrect. He just kind of kept going. And that that reminds me of one of my all-time great memories of John Madden. When Anthony Munoz was early in his career and John Madden was doing a Bengals game, John Madden wasn't familiar with the concept of the tilde, and he was calling him Munus. And I got a buddy, and we still laugh about Munus, you know, until somebody until somebody gently told John Madden that's not how it's pronounced, and he just, you know, he just he was who he was, and and there were no pretenses. I think that's one of the reasons he was so likable. There was never a sense that he was anyone other than who he was. He wasn't trying to be anyone other than who he was. And then when he started talking, he made the game fun that's the key word it's supposed to be fun and i know that you know our 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 role delves into all sorts of things that aren't fun from time to time because there are things about the game that i don't think should be hidden and they should be talked about and they should be tried to make better but when it was time to broadcast a game it was all about fun and he made it he made it he made it fun and yeah you know people like to have fun what what a shocker human beings like to have fun yeah so you turn on a football game and you want to have fun and he made it fun he did did that and like you know the one here's the other thing that always jumps out to me when i listen to old telecasts of games like never really negative on players or anything which is you know again I, i know there's a lot of announcers out there but like just had this way you know that I, I appreciated, of course, growing up as a, a son of a, a quarterback who was, you know, of course, under a microscope in New York and all of that, where, you know, I could watch a game and my dad might not be playing good and he might have thrown two, three interceptions, but it didn't become like a roast session. You know, he, he explained what went on and, you know, just had a good way of going, oh, you know, uh, you know, Sims is having a tough day today. It just said they're making it tough on him. And, he you know, he just – but it wasn't like – Hey, I'm going to show the whole world, you know, the dumb crap he's doing or what this player's doing to make these mistakes and let's all pile on too. He had a great way that way of kind of explaining to you the guy wasn't doing that well, but make it sound like, you know, again, it wasn't personal to that guy uh, and never crossed the line of going, whoa, that was a little too far. He actually absolutely eviscerated that person there. You know, he just was, he was amazing that way too. And, uh, that just goes back to, you know, he just had this jolly smile way about him that was just infectious. It really was. And um, so it's it's crazy. It really is. I guess I've always well, been preparing it, myself for this day a little bit, thinking it would come at some point. But it just was a little shocking. It kind of came out of left field yesterday. The the perspective, though, and, and you, you make a good point as it relates to, you know, a quarterback who's thrown a bunch of interceptions. You can bash the guy who threw the bunch of interceptions, and fans want to bash that guy, especially right. fans of that right. team. 
But on the other side of the ball, you got some defensive players that are making some pretty good plays. That's you know, right. I mean, to look at the Christmas game. We could either say Baker Mayfield stinks because he threw four interceptions, or we could say, hey, Rasul Douglas, he's got something special going on. Look at how he's diagnosing that play. Look right. at how he's making it happen. Yeah, and, yeah. And there was always something positive. To, whatever happened on the field, because if it was bad for one team, it was good for the other team. So instead of poking a stick at the team or the player had something bad happened, he – you know, he he reveled in the good thing. Yeah, that he happened. Did. He really and, did. And 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 uh, yeah, it it, it uh, like I said at the top of the show, it really felt like a family member for so many of us. And and I don't think he'd ever believe it. I think if if you were sitting down having this conversation with him, you know, thirty years ago, forty years ago, any time in his life, to explain to him the impact he eventually would have on the sport in so many different ways. The number of lives he would touch, even if he never got within a thousand feet of any of those people or a thousand miles of them through his voice, through his name, through his 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 image, through his video game. It it uh, you know, it, it, it there's never been anyone like him in the NFL and. At least in our lifetimes, there will never be another one who comes even close. Maybe 100, 200, 300 years from now, there'll be another John Madden. But uh, I, I think he was one of a kind, and I think there's a chance there's never going to be another John Madden. Yeah. For, for as long as we survive as a species and football is part of our existence and, and experience, I don't think there's ever going to be another John Madden. No, I don't. It's, it's a special person with a special touch, uh, unbelievable presence. You know, one of those presents where it's just like, I, I you know, I, I've never met this guy, but damn, look at him across the field, and he's the only guy I can look at, and I can hear him. There's other great people around, but damn, I'm looking at him. And there just was something about him. Yes. And obviously something about him. Again, to work for Al Davis, coach those Raiders teams, there must have been something there that Al saw knowing that, wait, I'm I'm tough to work for for one because I'm the owner and damn I know football too and will be you know second guessing everything you do but also like yeah we know Al Davis he he didn't care about you know players maybe that were a little rough around the edges or had personalities to me that says it all that that tells you that he felt like John Madden had a special touch with people and doing that and and that's where you know again we were all got the gift of after he left coaching to kind of see that in action with him uh with the microphone for for all those years and um yep john madden the man the myth the legend he is uh amazing and uh sad to see him go and i know we're gonna place a few more clips from him throughout the day so we can have some fun with it you know i'm, I'm looking at uh back to the daryl stingley story uh that we were talking about earlier and then we talked about how he called the airport to get Chuck Fairbanks off the plane because he thought the coach of the Patriots should be there given this serious injury that Daryl Stingley had suffered during a preseason game. And actually, as they were getting ready to operate on Daryl Stingley, Madden was was in was in scrubs. And he got up to Daryl Stingley and he said to him, everything's going to be all right before he went into surgery. I mean, yeah, it's sad. Tells you what he is. Let's take a break. We'll, we'll, we'll celebrate John Madden throughout the course of the show, but we also need to get you up to speed on everything else that's happening in the National Football League. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Three great words. 
free fries Friday, especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Valid one time on Friday. participating in McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. You talk about a full weekend. I mean, man, they have dinners and parades and, you know, induction ceremonies. And then, and then a game tomorrow night, which will be broadcasting the first one that I do with, uh, with NBC. So I just want to say in closing that it's been a great ride. And I want to thank everyone who's been along for any part of it. And speaking of great rides, I was lucky enough to be carried off the field after we won Super Bowl XI. And I was told it took like five or six guys to lift me up, and then, and then they dropped me. But that's okay, because that was me and that was them. I mean, they aren't going to carry me off like, you know, some guy belonged to carry. I mean, you carry him off for a while, boom, you dump him. I'm there in the gun. But it was the happiest moment of my life. And today feels like the second time in my life that I'm being carried off the shoulders of others. Yet instead of off the field, it's into the Hall of Fame. And instead of five or six guys, today I ride in the shoulders of hundreds of friends, coaches, players, colleagues, family. And I just say this, I thank you all very much. And this has been the sweetest ride of them all. Bill Belichick is the defensive coordinator of the Giants. And one thing you learn as a defensive coach, you learn to draw upside down. Sims straight back. Got a man, Bobby Johnson, is knocked down at the last second. Somebody threw a shoe. There's a pigeon on the field. How did he get in there? Well, he wanted to, to get down here. He couldn't get a seat. He tried to get up above, and there was no place. The only place, there was only that he could land was right there. He was in the middle of the action. I, I thought know. the shoe came off. I'll tell you, there's the throw. Johnson really has some feet. And there's the pigeon was right there where Johnson was running. You see, quick chalk for that. You see, here's the bucket. Now, Carson will come here. Here's Carson. He'll get the bucket, come around here, come up here, find the coach and do the dump right in here. It's always been like a mother and father. Like, this is a father bucket, this is a mother bucket, and since the last game, they had a baby bucket. So this is a baby bucket. So they got three now. There always been two. One's going to go to Parcells, one's going to go to another assistant, and one will go to a player later in the game. Just some of the awesomeness that was John Madden. I, I remember all those moments live. I don't quite remember the pigeon. But I remember everything else. Yeah, and and uh, your dad, who w- was quite impressive with the the quick drop straight back on that play right. when he when he threw the ball to the guy who was being covered uh, very closely by a pigeon, he got one of those buckets that day. He did. He got one of those buckets that day. Uh, you know, I mean, again, you see there. That's where I feel like the damn guy was narrating my dad's life when he was when I was growing up. I mean, he it, you know it was the Giants. Of course, they were good. It's New York. It's the big market. And I just felt like almost every Sunday I turned on and I was like, hey, it's John Madden. He's announcing my dad's game. I thought he was the only damn announcer in all of football, really, for a long time. But that's like what's special about him. You know, going to go off. Good. Big Phil misses a pass right there. That's 1986 down in Washington. He, he's going to draw about, about the, the pigeon, you know, not having a seat to the football game. The baby bug. <laughs> like, who makes that stuff up? Only John Madden. Yeah, I mean, he's right. I mean, it's just it was it was special. And he had a lot of fun with that '86 Giants team, of course, because they kind of invented the Gatorade shower on the coach, and the, they were the first team to really do that. Uh, so you always knew he was going to do that deep dive at the end of the game when the Giants had in control, and he was going to follow Harry Carson and and you know draw 80, 80 things on the screen as he tried to you know hide from Parcells and dump the Gatorade on him, but. Man, that just says it all right there. That was uh, amazing clips. And it was all driven by that instinct again of what makes it fun. Yeah. He had the ability to identify, to get the idea, 
to come up with what he was going to say about it and to communicate it in a way that was fun and engaging, just like Bill Belichick. Like, who that ever broadcast an NFL game in the history of the sport would have commented on Bill Belichick trying to coach his guys up on the sideline by saying, oh, one of the things you learn how to do is right upside down. But you know what? That's what people who are watching that are either already thinking or when they see it, they're going to start saying, yeah, Yeah, that is amazing that he's got to draw. Yeah, Yeah. Because really, what else are you going to say in that moment when you have that brief 10 seconds of time? And I think that was... Was you know he probably had an epiphany at some point early on when he was learning how to be a broadcaster. I really don't have a whole hell of a lot of time here between plays, so I got to make a point pretty quickly. So I'm going to dabble in the points that can be quickly made before the next snap of the ball. Instead of you know, well, they may be talking about this. You know, he's probably trying to get him to you know because when the safety goes back this way, this guy's you know no. I got five seconds of this shot. I'm going to say, hey, you got to learn how to write upside down. It was probably, It's just beautiful. That's, that is quintessential John Madden. Yes, it, it is. He could always bring those obscure things right to your living room and you just go, it's amazing how he delivered it, you know, and how funny it was. And it just was so natural. None of it was ever planned or scripted or any of that. It just, you just kind of were like, all right, let's see where he goes with this. You know, even watching a little bit of the, the Madden show on Christmas Day, right, that I think is coming to Peacock here sometime soon, which is going to be really cool because uh, I haven't got to watch the whole thing. But, yeah, there were some clips on that, like in that great tribute of just like him with Troy Aikman making fun of his beard and how patchy it is. And he just he's, – he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. And the Michael Jordan by far of NFL announcing. He is the Michael Jordan of NFL announcers. Well, and and he is that one, you mentioned Michael Jordan. I mean, the icon that stands out above all others. Yeah. You know, you have the people who aspire to be icons and the people who just kind of become icons. Right, right. And he would have never aspired to be it, and he wouldn't believe it. Like I said, you you sit down with John Madden 40 years ago and you have this conversation about what he's going to become, and he, he would ask you... You know whether you forgot to take your medication that morning. Yeah. I mean, that, he would just you know like he wouldn't he would never have believed any of it, and he never would have aspired to have any of it. And by the way, the Madden documentary uh, is available on Peacock. It was supposed to begin streaming on January three, but it was uh, available now and will be available for roughly three months on Peacock. So you can check that out whenever you'd like to. I, I recorded it on Christmas Day but hadn't had time to watch it. But that's uh, job number one. As soon as we're done yeah, today, I'm going to yeah, put that it, on it looks and amazing. Uh, enjoy that. And yeah. I'll probably watch it over and over and over again. All right. Um, back to the the news that's currently dominating the National Football League. And I'd, I'd love to know how John Madden would have handled these situations as the NFL tries to continue to, to get its arms around and keep its arms around the pandemic. More changes to the COVID protocols and – you know, folks can be cynical about how and why some of these other changes were made. But once we accept the fact that the league and the union are committed to getting all games played, when the CDC gives the game of football the gift that was given on Monday, yeah, reducing that 10-day quarantine isolation period down to five days, the NFL pounced on it. The NFLPA pounced on it. 10 down to five. And what that does is going to get guys back faster. It's not going to limit the number of guys who are positive, but it's going to get them back faster. There's one key, though, to keep in mind. And, And it's funny. I've seen a lot of cynicism expressed about this now. I don't know where all those people were when they changed the protocols a week and a half ago to make it so driven by whether or not someone has symptoms because everybody's like, oh, well, they they have to be asymptomatic. So after five days, they're all going to say they're asymptomatic. Well, yeah, that's part of the problem with the new testing protocol. They're only testing the people who are symptomatic and plenty of guys are putting their hand in the air and saying they have symptoms. Now, on the back end, will they try to conceal any lingering symptoms they have? How thorough will the medical examination be? I don't know. But, but you know, for, for the same reason that people are saying guys are going to say they don't have symptoms after five days, they, they're covering up their symptoms now. That's why I think that it's just the tip of the iceberg, Chris. For the, for all these players that are out there who are positive, I think a lot more guys have it 
and they either are asymptomatic or they've successfully concealed their symptoms. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. You know, I, I don't. You know, again, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. You know this, I know this. Most NFL players are really good people and aren't going to, like, try to jeopardize the public for the most part. You know, yes, there's some selfishness in, in every football player. It's, it's, I don't even think you think of but, it that way, no, though. No, it's not. I don't think you're going through that well, dilemma of am I putting someone at risk because, as you've said, plenty of these guys don't even think it's a big deal. No, I, I don't think they think it's a big deal COVID-wise, but I think I've talked enough to people to know that, like, there's still a, 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 a thought of, like, wait, I don't want to endanger others. I do think that's still kind of prevalent, but I don't think there's fear – from the, within themselves, and yes, Mike. I mean, to your point, they're gonna have you're gonna have a handful of guys, you know, in every locker room that, yeah, I, I mean, they're gonna. Oh, I you know, I got the sniffles. So what? Well, the sniffles or a headache could mean you got COVID right now. That's the the simple fact of the matter. But some of those guys just go, well, I I don't feel bad enough to even care or tell anybody. So I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, I certainly think that will go on, no doubt. It seems like I don't know where this is going, but it seems like again. Yeah, we're going to lessen some of these protocols and, you know, they're going to go back to let's do some of the other protocols within the facility to limit spread or contagiousness that way. And maybe this is the way to go as we go forward. I'm happy to see it. I'm glad the CDC did it. And, you know, just from the pure competitive standpoint of the NFL and watching good games. Yes. You know, again, here we are getting close to playoff time. I want to see some of these playoff teams at full strength and make sure the best seven make it and not, you know, have some team that got like a lucky COVID, you know, run down the stretch to, to somehow get in the playoffs. And, and if we're going to be cynical about whether or not players will hide their symptoms after they've gotten a positive so they can come back after five days. And if that cynicism spreads back to, you know, keeping your symptoms quiet in the first place. Um, th- there's another type of cynicism that's at play here, and I've heard from a What's couple that? of people about this. Yeah. There's a thought that the NFL and the union just wants it to wash through all the facilities mm. now right? and have it over with now and go ahead and let everyone get exposed and infected now. Symptomatic or not, let's get it over with now so when the playoffs roll around, it won't be an issue. And there is kind of a weird herd immunity that's going to happen. Not that herd immunity is ever going to be permanent because the thing's going to continue to have variants and going to have to deal with it in the coming years and i hate to say that but it i, I think it is going to be years not yeah, months definitely but but to have everyone get into that 90-day window where just like aaron Rodgers has been since early november not tested every day uh not subject to close contact absences for five days if he's exposed since he's unvaccinated if if guys have either had it and they've uh you know not been symptomatic and now they've got the antibodies so they won't test positive for some reason they're flagged later or if guys have been positive and they're in that 90-day window where they aren't tested you get to the point where you know for example the next guy we're going to talk about Carson Wentz the good news for the Colts once Carson Wentz is back yeah he's thanks back to the protocol he right. could be back for Sunday's game against the Raiders right once he's back, he's back. You never have to worry about him again yeah. the rest of the year. Yeah, that, that that's a great advantage. You're right. There's something to that. I'm sure there are, you know, some coaches and some some owners who are kind of hoping that happens and on their football team without, you know, of course, anybody getting really sick or, you know, in danger that way. But, yeah, that's a great advantage for a team like, you know, the Packers or the Colts to know if they do get in the playoffs, the Colts especially, yeah, there's no worry. You're going you're gonna to have your – your your you know your main quarterback out there to, to help you win those football games and Mike like Mike I was going to ask you so five days he tests positive yesterday morning like he'll still that it'll be good to go Sunday he he makes that cut off like it's yeah if he's asymptomatic yeah okay all right so that's or all asymptomatic comes right right yep it's now vaccinated or not and and what it was for vaccinated players was that 10 days was the absolute limit and you came back no matter what after 10 days. Now, I think if you were symptomatic, you you, you didn't. But by 10 days, no one's still going to be symptomatic. Um, now it's five days. You're, you're Even if you don't otherwise qualify to return because they changed the rules a couple of weeks ago so guys could come back sooner, not a lot of guys have been back after like one or two or three days. But five days, yeah. if you're vaccinated, you can be back. And even if unvaccinated, five days, you're back if you're asymptomatic. And and again, I don't I look. 
guys can try to hide it. I don't know how much you can hide if you still have fever. Yeah, I, right. I mean, there's You're still going to be or... a medical component. You got doctors in the building. If if you know if if a guy has had symptoms, there's going to be some evidence that you know. I, hell, anytime you have a cold. You can't hide your symptoms. No, if your nose is no. running, your nose is running. If you're sneezing, you're sneezing. If that, you're coughing, you're coughing. You can't. You hold it together for five seconds and say I'm good, and then you start walking away and you're coughing and hacking everywhere. I mean, again, there's only so much that can be hidden that, that's, if you have symptoms of COVID. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was having a little text conversation with with a friend of mine in the NFL this weekend, and they were kind of referring to that a little bit as far as that. Uh, you know, uh, there, there, there's checks and balances to this new thing too. You know, to to your point, if a guy's walking around the facility and coughing and sneezing and you know nose is runny, somebody's gonna see it and tells you know the the medical staff, and he's the guy's gonna end up getting tested. So that that's what you know the 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 conversation that I was having through text a little bit. You know, was saying that that's why. Hey, it's we're, they're still going to be on the lookout for symptoms, and and there's you know nobody's just going to get a free run. Like, oh, you feel okay? No big deal. We've heard you cough twenty times, and you know, blow your nose twenty times. Oh, you're okay. Okay, big deal. No, those guys are going to get called out, or somebody's going to say something to to make sure they get tested and and see where it goes from there. But um, hey, Carson Wentz, this game this week, Raiders still in the playoff conversation, of course. I mean, the Colts have finally just got a hold of their playoff position and playing great football. I mean, this is big. Hey, I you know I know they got Sam Ellinger, Ellinger uh, from Texas there, who you know has some toughness and some moxie about him. But man, to be thrown into this situation, wow, that's going to be risky. Now, the good thing is the Colts should have the majority of their offensive line back, which is a good thing with or without Carson Wentz. But man, like. To where this is big to me is like, hey, you've heard me say, like, I think the Colts are a playoff team. And then over the last four or five weeks, I've been trying to say to people like, hey, don't be shocked. Like we talked about yesterday and you brought it up with the 49ers. Like, don't be shocked that we're sitting here a month from now and the Colts are in the AFC championship game. Don't be shocked if the Colts are in the Super Bowl six weeks from now. Don't be shocked. They are capable of going to the Super Bowl. And that's why I look at this as huge. I mean, come on. They just beat the Patriots by 10. They just beat the Cardinals on the road with a, uh, with a depleted football team. They went toe-to-toe with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and outplayed them and really screwed the game up to lose it. They blew out the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. So people who are doubting the Colts are crazy. The Colts are a Super Bowl team. They stumped, you know, stubbed their toes a bunch early in the year. New team, quarterback, the COVID issues, tough schedule. All right. But what they've become now is a true Super Bowl contender in my eyes, and that's where this you know, Carson Wentz thing is going to be really interesting as we go into the weekend. Well, and look at what they were able to do on Saturday night without yeah. Quentin Nelson, right. without Darius Leonard. They had four of their starting offensive linemen gone at gone. some point during the game when yeah. Eric Fisher left with an injury, and they still got it done, and that's a testament to their depth. No doubt. And and that that's a, a – a, capacity of the roster it was put together by GM Chris Ballard and amazing. Frank Reich the head coach's ability to get the most out of the guys they have so I think they could win without Carson Wentz you know they still got they Jonathan can. Taylor now yeah, they gotta they, they gotta can. hold their breath the next couple of days that he doesn't test positive right. too but then you got depth behind him I they mean this Marlon is a very Maxwell good there. team and yeah right what what happened was they struggled out of the gates and a lot of people wrote them off but going into this into the season they were a team that we were kind of like they could be pretty good this year. They could be pretty good. And then they struggled. It's like, okay, cast them aside. Let's focus on the teams that actually are going to be good. And they have just been consistently and quietly chipping and chipping away. And here they are. We showed the graphic yesterday on PFTPM. Do we have the AFC playoff picture? That This should strike fear in the hearts of all fans throughout Western New York. If this current structure holds, because as it stands, no the doubt. Bills as the yes. number four seed and the Colts as the number five seed, uh-huh. you don't want the Colts. This is Apollo Creed at the end of Rocky One saying there ain't going to be no rematch. Guess what? There is going to be a rematch under this current. Now, is it going to change over the next two weeks? Probably a lot, but whoever draws that card 
wherever the Colts land on that slot machine in the middle, the one on the left, they're going to be saying, holy, no, no, we don't want the Colts. And, and that makes that number one seed even more important because you necessarily, it's the only way to avoid the Colts in the wild card round. You got to be the number one seed. You don't have to play at all. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it. You know, it, it's, you know, you said it, there's still a lot of like, you know, football to be played here, but yeah, I mean the bills, let's just go back, you know, I, last year, wild card round, the Colts with Philip Rivers really outplayed Buffalo. The Buffalo won because of one reason, because, you know, the greatest one man show in football showed up and made some unbelievable plays. It was Josh Allen. He just, he got them out of harm's way. It's a bad matchup for Buffalo. Buffalo needs to win out and hope that maybe a Cincinnati who has a tough schedule, they lose another game to where Buffalo can be the three seed and make Cincinnati the four seed, and then they don't have to deal with the Indianapolis Colts in round one. That would probably be the best scenario for them. You know, so we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, I mean, there's a – again, we, we know enough. Hey, we always thought the Colts had a lot of the pieces to be a good team. I know you and I both picked them to get off to slow starts – because they were, I don't want to say dysfunctional, they weren't dysfunctional, but they were one of those handful of teams that I know you and I before the year, we kind of called out that we thought they were going to go on a losing streak. One, the schedule was tough. Two, you had the quarterback that was new to the team. And three, they probably had more COVID conversations and issues than just about any team in training camp. And we know Frank Reich and Chris Ballard were bothered by it. And it was an issue. So we kind of called it that way. We knew they had the pieces. And now Frank Reich, to, to credit to him, and of course Ballard with the team he built, you know, they've slowly but surely continued to grow as a football team. And right now, I mean, there, there's no team in the sport that I look at to go, oh, man, if the, Col the Colts don't match up with them. The Colts match up with everybody. Everybody. Their offensive line's one of the better ones in football. Their defensive line's deep and got a lot of good, you know, a lot of good players. Well, you said Darius Leonard. I mean, they got everything you need to be a Super Bowl football team. They really do. They're not sexy. You know, people doubt Carson Wentz. I understand that. But uh, if they get in the playoffs, which I expect them to do, they're, you know, as we're saying, they're going to be a major, major player and a tough matchup for whoever they have to play. By the way, we got to go to break, but let me just point out Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers head coach, Man. also tested positive yesterday. Harold Goodwin, the run game coordinator, will take over. That allows Byron Leftwich to coordinate the offense, Todd Bowles to coordinate the defense, and Tom Brady to basically still run the team. So of all the contenders, frankly, the one team that can get through the potential absence of the head coach for a short period of time is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Bruce Arians has made it clear he delegates everything right and they play the jets yeah, that helps out so <laughs> that helps as well um i was kind of hoping it would be todd bowles as the interim coach going against the team that he oh, previously coached too. In right York, but right. not the case yeah uh let's take a break after further review the wednesday uh staple of pft live we'll do that when we return right after this The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bottom up, up, up. Valid one time on Friday. Participating McDonald's through 12 31 24. Excludes tax. Must opt in rewards.